Hello, and welcome back to In Search of Lost Focus, a podcast series by the Economist Intelligence Unit, exploring the role that focus plays in the modern working world. In Search of Lost Focus is sponsored by Dropbox. We thank them for their support. My name is Priya Bobbitt, and today we will be speaking with author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Darius Faroux. Darius runs a popular blog on his website, dariusfaroux.com, where he writes about strategies to improve focus, productivity, and decision-making. In our previous episode, we explored how companies play an important role in building environments to improve focus for their employees. In this episode, we'll discuss how individual knowledge workers can take steps to build focus for themselves. To listen to our other episodes in this series, or to read our reports on lost focus, both in the workplace and in our new normal of remote work, please visit lostfocus.eiu.com. And now on to our discussion. Darius, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation today. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. So as you know, we're in a whole different world now, working from home versus working in the office. And I wanted to know from you, according to your readers, what have been some of the most unexpected changes that have come from this shift to a work from home environment? Yeah, there have been many changes that I've noticed uh, from my readers, both positive and negative. So what do you want me to start with? Why don't we start with the positive? Yeah, sure. So the first thing that I've noticed is that uh, my readers have had more urgency in their work. This is something that you often see in general when there's a crisis. Uh, People gravitate more towards each other. And in general, uh, camaraderie within teams increases as well. And that's also partly because we're kind of afraid to lose our jobs, because this year a lot of people felt that their careers were at stake as well, because we, you know, we read the news, we see what's going on, and we see that other people are losing their jobs. And we think to ourselves, well, what if this happens to me? Now, that gives us a clear reason to perform at our jobs. And from psychology, and particularly logotherapy, we've learned that humans operate best if we have a reason to wake up. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter what that reason is. As long as we have a reason, we wake up in the morning with focus. So that's been one of the biggest things that I've seen that's a positive in terms of urgency. Now, there's another thing that I've noticed as well is related to personal energy. So obviously working from home, you don't have to commute anymore. And all of a sudden you have more energy. And since we have removed commute from the equation, we can spend that time on our work. And that has boosted productivity for a lot of people, including myself as well. Even though I've been working remotely for many years now, I did still commute a little bit to my family office. Now I spend most of the time on work. I just wake up and I start working and a lot of people have been doing the same. And we've seen that we can be more productive if we just remove that commute out of our day. And obviously this has a flip side as well. So there are no boundaries anymore between life and work. So technology has removed all of these barriers. And one of my students in my online classes recently shared the following feedback with me and I can just read it to you. She says, I have a hard time balancing work and personal life, and it has gotten much harder since I started to work from home. 
I tend to automatically think of work the second I wake up, and that includes emails, projects, etc. So, you know, that kind of mindset has a huge impact on the way we operate. Because if you constantly think about your work, you tend to have more anxiety. And on the long term, anxiety leads to numerous health issues and also depression. So this is something that is a clear negative when it comes to work from home. And then the final thing that I've noticed also a negative is that uh, work from home has a large mental and physical toll as well. So a lot of people have talked about the mental toll, which is quite obvious because, you know, the longer this pandemic is taking, the, the bigger the impact on our mental well-being. However, there's also a toll on our physical well-being because, you know, we can't find healthy routines and we sit all day long. At least most of us sit, whether that's at our desk when we're working or on a couch when we are relaxing. So this is particularly important for our physical well-being. And, you know, when we relax, we do the same. So ultimately, all these things play together. And I've heard more from my readers about physical problems like back pain and neck pain and gaining weight. So these are my observations. You bring up a really interesting idea and a conversation that we've all been having about how technology and our relationship with it has changed in this shift to work from home and how this has potentially caused some challenges with work-life balance. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, you've written extensively about how technology has led to increased stress and pressures to be available around the clock. Many of your articles discuss how to better manage that division between time spent on work and time spent off the clock. In your view, as people have shifted to this work-from-home environment, how have people's relationship with work technology specifically changed? Yeah, so I recently read in the Wall Street Journal about a survey that I think 10,000 people responded to that showed that Americans devote about 35% of their time saving to their primary jobs. And you know, most of us, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, we use our free time to work. And so let's say you have... You know, you save two hours um, on, on a commute. That means you spend an additional 42 minutes uh, on your work each day. Now, that might not seem like a lot on a day-to-day basis, but over the week, it's at least three and a half hours. So these have all been good and bad things because it all depends on the long-term impacts that it has on our work and, you know, overall well-being. So... As we've shifted to a work-from-home environment, when it comes to the relationship that we have with work technology is good and bad. You know, we see the time savings that we're having. We think, wow, this is great. But on the other hand, we also feel a little bit more restricted because we're available around the clock. So this is a very weird dynamic that a lot of us struggle with because one day we wake up and we feel, wow, technology has helped me to be more free. And by the evening, we are constantly you know, getting emails and messages and we feel like, wow, technology is really restricting my freedom. So there's a huge paradox going on. 
And in my opinion and in my experience, we haven't still figured out how we should deal with this work technology. Let's dig into that a little bit more. Uh, as we talk about work technology, that's it's, it's a it's a wide ranging term. It can include anything from email, as you mentioned, to uh, more synchronous communications or even um, alternatives to brainstorming software via online platforms. I'd be curious to hear from you. Are there changes in how people use technology and the types of technology that people use in a work from home environment? It would be really interesting to hear if there are some technologies that have made working from home in a remote environment easier and others that have made it more of a challenge. Yeah, so like you said, the tools that help us to collaborate and brainstorm together are truly wonderful because this has shown us that we can keep on working together outside of the office. And this is a very big misconception that a lot of managers and leaders had before the pandemic a lot of leaders thought, well, our productivity will decrease if our team will work remotely. And, you know, we've shown that that's not the case. And in many cases, people are more productive and they keep on collaborating together through those tools of brainstorming and uh, collaborating on projects, whether that's, you know, complicated video projects or game development, you name it. Now, that's positive. The negative is the communications technology, because I've seen that most people keep their uh, messaging software, whether that's Slack or Team, open throughout the day. And they use it in a similar way as email, which most people also keep open. And that results in many distractions and interruptions throughout the day. And that is the biggest negative because all of a sudden we can't focus anymore. And we feel that, uh, yeah, we can collaborate and we can communicate very easily, but on the long term, what are we getting done? And that's ultimately important for companies to move forward uh, and, and achieving you know, actual output. How can knowledge workers and others better manage the pressures that tend to be associated with these work-related communications technologies? Yeah, so one of the things that I always recommend is to limit the time that you have your communications software open. Now, sometimes we need to be available throughout the day. We need to reply to certain messages instantly. Let's say you work in customer service or you know, you're working on a deadline and it it's important that everybody is available. In those instances, I get it, but there are more times for knowledge workers that we need to spend time on our tasks. And often that requires complex work. And the more complex the work is, the less distractions you need to do good work. So what I highly recommend for everybody to do is to limit the time that you are online. And unfortunately, this is more of a culture issue because most organizations and more, most people as well, this is not only for organizations, but also freelancers and service professionals who believe that they need to be available for their clients or their team 24-7. Now, obviously, it's important to be responsive, but I don't think that your clients or your team would like you to sacrifice the quality of your work. 
So I think that's one of the biggest wins that people can achieve instantly by just limiting the amount of hours that they are online. That's a really interesting idea, that line between being available and also being responsive. So how would individuals set those boundaries in terms of how to ensure that they are responsive, not only to their customers and clients, but also to their managers and coworkers, but at the same time creating those boundaries within their working day? So one clear way of doing this is agreeing on set times that you are available. So for example, with my team who work on my website and podcast and online courses, we have several times that we are available throughout the day. One, once in the morning, once in the early afternoon, and one you know before we end the day. So during those hours, we know that everybody will be responsive. And we leave most of the communications for those set hours. That gives us also certainty because we know somebody is available during that hour. But also, it gives us more peace of mind to actually just sit down and do our work so we can talk about it later on. And we don't have to fear uh, messages and emails and other things uh, popping up when we are doing the work. So this is a clear tactic that you can apply instantly by picking set times. And this is all flexible if certain organizations or teams need to be available multiple times throughout the day, that's fine as well. You can play around with this and find a uh, good balance of uh, times that everybody needs to be available. But Ultimately, it comes down to communication and thinking about these things in advance. Because if we just wing it, which is what most people do, we just assume that we can all find a way to communicate with each other. We find out that, you know, some people don't like to be bothered every five or 10 minutes. In fact, I argue that most people don't like that, whether they respond or not, but that's a different conversation. But that's the thing that I would recommend for everybody to do instantly, to pick certain times that you are available and stick to those times as well. You mentioned that at your company, you set up times for uh, communications to happen and when people can be more available. You also talked a bit about how individuals can set their own schedules and really communicate when they are available and create those boundaries. In our previous episode, we explored how companies and company leadership can really shape the ability of their teams to focus, both through changes in the physical environment and company culture, both in terms of communication and in other factors in terms of the ways that we shape our work lives. Who has the bigger role in building focus and shaping focus? Is it the company and the company leadership or is it each of the individual knowledge workers? I believe in personal responsibility and ultimately personal productivity, just like the word implies, is the responsibility of the professional. So as a leader, I think it's okay to have certain expectations of your team. However, some organizations are making it very difficult for their workers to be productive. And that communications technology is one of those examples. If organizations require people to be available around the clock, we can't expect our team to behave like robots. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. 
And another example is, you know, before the pandemic, a huge trend for, you know, past decade or so has been a trend towards the open office. And we just know that the more distractions you have, the lower your productivity is because every time you're distracted by a coworker or a message or anything that basically interrupts your focus, you lose time. And maybe it's five or 10 minutes, but if you add up the time that you lose on distractions, it adds up to many hours and hours of lost productivity. So ultimately, I think this is the most politically correct answer, but I think it's true because we have to work together and it needs to come from both places, from management, but also from the individual professionals, the knowledge workers have a responsibility as well. But, you know, you can't expect a knowledge worker to be super productive if they're constantly interrupted. Uh, So I feel that we need to be clear on those boundaries and expectations as well. And when discussing with your readers, in your view, how much of someone's ability to focus is dependent on their level of seniority within the company? Are higher level managers and C-suite executives better able to control their time and their ability to focus than those who are in um, other types of roles within the company? Not necessarily. So the higher up you are in an organization, the more requests people will have of you. So the more people who are trying to claim your time, the more difficult it will become for you to basically control your time as a leader. So I do think that as a leader and the higher you up in an organization, you obviously have more power and control. However, you also have more requests uh, compared to somebody who's lower level of seniority. So this is a very complex dynamic that you know managers and leaders are facing right now because we are having more requests. And because people can easily email you and send you chat messages, because there's no physical barrier anymore. So one thing that we've noticed in the past, when you were in the office, you would just have a physical barrier often between more senior people within the company. But now with your communications um, software, you can just message anyone within the company. So that means that senior people will have more requests. And the more requests you have, the more difficult it will become to control your time and your ability to focus. So ultimately, those people will need to focus a lot more on their time management and uh, the way that they are uh, protecting their focus. It seems like we've gone back to a world where those physical barriers are back in place with everyone working from home. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. So in a study that we just completed at the Economist Intelligence Unit, we found that 36% of the knowledge workers that we surveyed felt more focused working from home as opposed to working from their offices. Why do you think this could be the case, even with all of the internal and external distractions present in a work-from-home environment? Is it because there are these physical barriers that prevent that asynchronous communication or being subject to these in-person distractions, or do you view it as something else? I think that plays a role, but I would say that the urgency is still the most important thing that I've seen and that I've observed. So the findings of your study also underline my experience 
because I've seen that people are more productive and focused as well. And when I look at myself, that is also the case. Now, the question is, why is that? And how can we explain this? And I think if we go back to psychology, we could explain this a lot easier. So one of my favorite authors is Viktor Frankl, the, uh, the author of A Man's Search for Meaning. In that book, he talks about how important it is to have meaning and uh, a reason to wake up in the morning. Because if we have meaning, it's easier for us to focus because it basically narrows the things that we actually think about. In the past, before the pandemic, we had a lot of different things on our minds. We had a lot of desires and goals and uh, things that we wanted to achieve. Now, this year, that has narrowed down by a lot because the only thing that uh, the majority of people are thinking about is getting through the pandemic. So we have a singular focus. Now, unfortunately, we don't know how long this takes. However, we do know what we want to do, and that is to keep going and to make the best of it, keep performing at our jobs. And as we see that, you know, those clear reasons to perform, we see it back in the results. And it has a real influence on the way that we operate just in general. And obviously, there are many negative things about the pandemic and people are losing their jobs and families are impacted by loss. It also has positive influences on the way that we focus. And the biggest lesson that I've learned from this is that uh, the power of focus is so underrated because we think it's okay to just focus on you know many different things in our lives and have all these different desires while we just learned that the the narrower our focus the better we perform what do you think have been some of the differentiating factors between those who have had better success and better ability to focus while working from home versus those who have not yeah this is very difficult because we're all trying to make the best of it so it's really tough to stay productive and focused while you're working from home. The differentiating factor, in my opinion, is consistency. And it's just like that classic Aesop fable about the race between the turtle and the jackrabbit. Uh, slow and steady always beats the one who wants to go fast. So what does that mean for us right now during the pandemic and working from home in general beyond the pandemic? I think it's really important to have a long-term approach and think about your output because what happens if you go really fast and try to get a lot of things done within a short day, you risk burning yourself out. And ultimately, over the long term, your output will be a lot lower compared to somebody who has you know, a, a relatively slow and steady output on a day-to-day -day basis, but can be productive day in, day out, week in, week out, <laughs> and so forth. So I think that's the most important thing to focus on right now. Uh, that is consistency. How can you be more consistent when you are working from home with all of these additional pressures? You know, the boundaries have been removed. You have mental uh, struggles. You have physical struggles. Regardless of all these factors, how can you be consistent? That's the question. In the pre-COVID times, I would say that two of the biggest barriers for that consistency and focus 
would have been two things that you've written about quite extensively, which are multitasking and procrastination. Have you seen any changes in the pressure or tendency to multitask in a work-from-home environment versus an office environment? Yes, and this is related to what we talked about with communications technology. I've seen a lot of people who assume that they have to be available throughout the working day. So in the past, when you worked from an office, it was a little bit easier to focus on your task. But now you're also thinking to yourself, well, I need to be available for my boss or for my team. And I need to show that I'm available as well. So that people know that I'm here because we can't physically see each other throughout the day. So in terms of multitasking, now all of a sudden we're adding 24-7 availability to the equation. And now we're basically multitasking all day long. And that's huge for your productivity because, you know, I'm really focusing on this communication. And I know, you know, after a while, it might sound like a broken record, but it is one of the things that you can get the most return of if you simply find a way to manage the communication. Because once you do that, you instantly start multitasking a lot less uh, compared to before. So I think if you remove that out of the equation, you can focus more on your tasks. And yet it will be difficult to stop yourself from multitasking because whether we like it or not, our brains are often very scattered. We're thinking about a thousand things at the same time. And we also assume that we can get uh, multiple things done at the same time. However, studies have shown time after time that we can't focus on a lot of things at the same time. So this is a very important thing to keep in mind when you're working from home. Just don't try to tax your brain too much because that's the way that I look at it. If you are engaging in multitasking, uh, you have to be aware that you are wearing out your brain a lot faster than normal. It's just like sprinting, right? How far can you run if you sprint at 100% of your energy compared to how far can you run if you run at maybe 70% of your energy? So that's the way that I like to look at it. That's really interesting. And I'm not sure that everyone realizes that leaving themselves open to a communication distraction, whether that be with email pop-ups or notifications, that that is also a form of multitasking. Yes, 100%. That is something that, like you said, most of us are not even aware of. And this is one thing that I often ask my students or you know, people that I work with. Um, I ask them, are you multitasking? And most people say, well, no, I don't multitask because I know that it's bad. And fortunately, a lot of people who are interested in productivity and you know achievement and want to get the most out of themselves are aware of all these studies. And you know people have written about this extensively. However, most of us are not aware when we're multitasking. So even if you're responding to a quick text message from your spouse, you're multitasking. And it just requires some energy and time as well, because some studies have shown that it takes up to nine minutes to get back to your original task after you are interrupted. So for example, you are 
at your desk, you're working on a project, or you're creating a presentation, and a friend sends you a text message. You quickly look at the text message, you think about it, and you respond. Now, all of a sudden, you're taken out of your flow, you've lost your focus, and whether you like it or not, your brain just needs up to nine minutes. And obviously, these studies are somewhat random because, you know, people respond to this differently. However, most of us need a few minutes to regain our focus. Now, whether that's nine minutes or five minutes, I personally don't care. What I care about is that it takes some time and energy, whether that's four, five, six, seven, or eight, or nine minutes. It really doesn't matter. It matters that you are taking out of your flow. And ultimately, when you add up all of those interruptions throughout the day, that's when you are drained. And that's something that a lot of my readers tell me. They write back on my articles or they leave comments, etc. And I say, well, I feel drained. Not even by the end of the day, by, by like 2 or 3 p.m., I feel drained. And by now, a lot of us already feel drained by the end of the morning because we just instantly start working after we wake up. Uh, why is that? Well, uh, obviously, there are multiple factors, and it's not that easy to, to explain why that is. However, this multitasking behavior plays a big role. So when you stop doing it, you should see some impact on the way that you feel instantly. What about procrastination? I know that a lot of people have changed their timings in terms of when they find themselves productive and when they would like to do work during the workday. When your home has become your office, it is easier to switch between on and off time. So what that's done is it's both extended the workday, but also created a lot more opportunities for breaks. Do you view this as being more of a tendency towards procrastination or more of a shift towards a flexible work environment in a way that works for different people? Procrastination has been an issue and is still an issue because our minds are fickle and we just thought we're all over the place if we don't control it. So your example of breaks is perfect because what happens is we have a short break and we think, well, let me just open up YouTube or Instagram. And what happens is that we go from one video to the next and we just get stuck inside this loop of consuming content. And that is something that I've been hearing about a lot more compared to the past. And I also suspect that it has something to do with this work from home environment. Because in the past, this obviously was an issue as well. But I wasn't getting this many signals compared to what's going on right now. And I think that is the biggest trap when it comes to procrastination right now. Because, you know, what is procrastination actually, right? Some people say there's a form of productive procrastination as well. For example, let's say you have to write a speech or an article or you have to do some creative work. In those cases, a lot of people are a proponent of just taking your time. And I'm personally a proponent of that as well. You don't have to put a lot of pressure on yourself to be creative. However, that is not procrastination to me. Procrastination is... You know that you have to do something important, 
but you're putting it off. You're saying, well, it can wait. Let me just watch this one video and then I'll get back to my task. And what is the danger of that? Well, the danger is that you get stuck in that loop, right? So how can you avoid this? Well, relatively easy, or it's simple. It's not easy to apply. That is to stop watching that one video. That's the only solution to overcoming procrastination. And it is very, very hard because you have to resist the temptation to do so. But it's a lot easier to resist before you start watching that first video or consuming that first piece of content on social media or Twitter or whatever your favorite you know, media form is compared to if you're already in the matrix, right? Because that's what happens to most of us. We start consuming or we start engaging on social media and we just can't stop. As more people have begun to work from home, I'm sure you've heard from your readers new and interesting ideas in terms of the habits and different steps that they take in order to ensure a more focused and productive work environment. What are some habits or individual actions that people can take in order to um, eliminate the challenges that they might face with procrastination or with multitasking? Yeah, so I'd like to focus on a few things that are not covered by most productivity authors or blogs uh, because it's quite straightforward to, for example, take some breaks throughout the day, uh, work with a Pomodoro timer, which is a proven method for improving your focus, which basically comes down to you know setting a timer for 30 minutes and getting your task done and then taking a five-minute break and repeating the process. That's something that works, and you know there are some other productivity tips that work. However, in my experience and in the experience of my readers, none of that stuff works if you're just exhausted all day long and you wake up tired and you're just not there mentally. So I personally like to focus on mental well-being first and you know physical strength as well before you talk about productivity tactics and strategies. So how can we improve our mental well-being? One thing that I found very beneficial is journaling. And this is a positive trend that I'm seeing over the last three to four years. And there's a lot more interest in journaling because it just helps you to get some mental relief. And it's not like, you know, just an activity log or anything like that where you just, you know, sit down and write, oh, well, between 9 and 10 a.m. I worked on X and then, you know, after that I worked on Y. What I've seen being very beneficial when it comes to journaling is just to write about your feelings. You know, how do you feel when you wake up? What have you been eating? What time did you go to bed? A journal for self-improvement is basically a way to measure yourself. And when you do that just over time, you can start seeing patterns. And you can start seeing when you feel bad. So, for example, when you wake up in the morning tired and you start recording this and all of a sudden you see that you on those days that you wake up tired you've had six hours of sleep it's not very difficult to put one-on-one together right so you see those patterns but 
the biggest thing is most of us are just not aware, right? So when you make yourself aware of everything that's going on in your life, it's very easy to fix it because we can't just fix things that we're not aware of. And that is my biggest issue with personal development and personal productivity, all these topics that are related to you know, work and getting results. We just try a lot of different things without awareness, without measuring uh, what we actually need. So keeping a journal is one thing that I would recommend to everybody to do. Another thing that I figured out with myself and something that I recently shared on my blog is to think about your minimum output level. And this is something very closely related to energy management and the consistency aspect that we talked about. So what you want to do is you don't want to burn yourself out. But how can you do that without knowing your minimum output level for an average day? So by simply figuring out the minimum amount of work that you need to put in on an average day, you can just focus on that and everything else will be a bonus. And the best way to do this is if you're working on a project, figure out when you need to finish the project, when's the deadline, and then work back from there. So the clearest example that I can give is when it comes to writing, because it's, it's very visual. So let's say you want to write an essay of 5,000 words, and you figured out that you can write 500 words a day, you can just simply do the math. And you can uh, do this uh, for any type of project that you're working on. And that way you can spread out the work over uh, several days or weeks or whatever the time frame is. So those two things I would highly recommend for everybody to do instantly to improve your you know, mental well-being and relieve some of the pressure that you put on yourself or that we collectively put on ourselves. And then what I also recommend is just taking daily walks. And again, this is something that's very simple. But by walking, you do not only improve your mental well-being, you also improve your physical well-being because, you know, we've just seen that walking for at least 45 minutes and preferably longer is often just as good as working out for 20 or 30 minutes. So why would you... You know, put a lot of pressure on yourself or stress to, you know, find out some innovative working out technology or working out schedule or method that you could do from home while you could just go outside and have a walk. It's all about just keeping things simple and nurturing the body and nurturing the mind. And when it comes to nurturing the mind, the final tip that I have is to meditate or at least have a form of meditative practice. And again, you could meditate while you're walking or journaling, so there's some overlap here. But it's really important to, to find a way that you actually you know, energize your mind again. Because there are a lot of activities throughout the day that drain our energy, and somehow we also want to have that energy back. It's just like having a nice conversation or a nice dinner with friends, and unfortunately, we can't have that in most instances. But we still want to find certain activities that give us energy. These are all excellent tips. One final question for you. Looking towards the future, overall, what do you think the long-term impacts of the pandemic will be on the working environment? 
And what lessons do you hope we learn from this that will help shape the future of the working world? On the long term, I think the impact is positive because we will have more freedom to work from home or any other place in the world. And we've now finally proven that it does not harm our productivity when we work from home. And the thing that I'm very glad about is that I'm seeing more and more reports from you know CEOs of major corporations who are telling their staff, hey, it's okay to work from home beyond the pandemic. So I think that's a, it's a net positive. The lessons that we've learned is that it's very difficult to stay productive. So we need to keep up these types of conversations and have an open dialogue about how we work, uh, what impacts our energy, and how we can remove some of the distractions that we're currently facing. And Ultimately, uh, as we talked about, this is the responsibility of the individual, but also organizations who have to make the environment productivity friendly. We need to be aware that we're all human beings, and sometimes we think that we're robots, and we expect too much of ourselves, but also of our team. So ultimately, we need to be aware of those challenges as well. Thank you so much for sharing these thoughts with us. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being on the show. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of In Search of Lost Focus by the Economist Intelligence Unit. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe to this podcast to listen to our other discussions. You can also learn more about our work on Focus in the Workplace by visiting lostfocus.eiu.com. Thanks again to Dropbox, our sponsor for this series, and thank you for listening.